0: Welcome to Bible Line, a ministry of Calvary Community Church. Our podcast is dedicated to the clear teaching of God's Word. We aim to help people find Jesus Christ and train believers through the study of the Bible. We would love to feature your questions on the show. You can email us at questions at Bible If you'd like to support the show, you can go to calvaryoftampa.org forward slash donate. Catch new episodes every Thursday. We pray today's episode is a blessing to you.
1: Let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at the word justification today, and then next week we'll wrap up this series looking at about three other terms. One of the ones we're going to spend a lot of time on next week is sanctification. Trent and I were doing some research this week, and we came across um, some YouTube channels that are quite large, and they are doing exactly what BibleLine is trying to do, and that is get Bible answers to questions. And many times, it's interesting to see, some of the most watched videos are videos about the guarantee of salvation. Now, this shows you two things. Number one, that people are not sure that they're saved. And number two, that there are people that are trying to give answers and they're not satisfying the answer to the question. There's a ton of videos like that. Um, How do I know I'm saved? If you type that into Google, which is the second largest search engine, excuse me, type that into YouTube, it's the second largest search engine in the world, you'll find so many videos. It's everywhere. And it just, the knowledge abounds or the the, the information abounds, but no one is, is answering the question biblically. The ones that have clear answers are, you know, less than 1,000 views. When well, we came across one particular channel, and they have 800,000 subscribers, they have the little green check of verification from YouTube, and one of their most popular videos, amongst others, is a video with 440,000 views that says, can I know for sure that I'm guaranteed salvation, or something along those lines. And people watch a 10-minute video, and you read the first 20 comments, and they all go like this. I want the answer to this question. I lose sleep over this. I'm mentally taxed because I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. And you listen to this 10-minute video, and it says a lot of words and phrases, but it speaks on no biblical truth. None. It's all a process. Here's how people wrap up the answer to that question most of these uh, you know, speakers on YouTube, you'll know if you're saved, if you see a change. Okay. And they say the measurement of that change is by your actions. You'll be a changed person. I heard recently when something as big as God moves in, there's got to be a change. And that sounds good, but it's not biblical. As far as an outward appearance, there is a change that happens, but it's all instantaneous. The moment that you believe and this word justified or justification is so important. I was talking to um, some people over the weekend and I said, if we as believers were to recognize what has been done in, the, in God's court of law for you and me, it is almost the natural outcome to serve. There's no ongoing process of your justification. There's no follow-up visits. There's no check-in. There's no renewal or expiration of your justification. It's been done. It's final. So then how could we watch a video with almost 500,000 views and people are looking to themselves to prove their salvation? I'm going to read you some quotes here from John MacArthur. Who is a, he is the leading Christian author right now. Number one, the gospel says, give your life to Christ and he rules. And if you're not willing to do that, it's because you want to keep the rule of your own life. The rich young man wanted his own life for himself. He wanted control of his own life. He had his choice, sin. He had his choice of religion. He wanted to hang on to control. It's that simple. Coming to Christ means you give up the control of your life and you yield it to Christ. That's called front-loading the gospel. You put all of these terms and conditions in the beginning and you say these, these must be met first before you can be saved. Here's another quote. Salvation isn't the result of an intellectual exercise. It comes from a life lived in obedience and service to Christ as revealed in the scripture. It's the fruit of actions, not intentions. There's no room for passive spectators. Words without actions are empty and futile. Then... The life we live, not the words we speak, determines our eternal destiny. Folks. Here's an interesting one. This one I think is the most powerful and sheds the most light on where the thinking is for the the world today. Don't believe anyone who says it's easy to become a Christian. Salvation for sinners costs God his own son. It costs God's son his life, and it'll cost you the same thing you don't see that in scripture anywhere we can't even look at discipleship verses and get something like that salvation isn't gained by reciting mere words here's the word that here's the phrase saving faith you see how they have redefined faith it's a saving faith transforms the heart and turns and that in turn transforms behavior faith fruit isn't seen in actions or is seen in actions, not intentions. There's no room for passive spectators. Words without actions are empty and futile. Remember that what John saw in his vision of judgment was a book of life, not a book of words or a book of intellectual musings. The life we live, not the words we speak, reveals whether our faith is authentic. Do you see how that that is serious? We're now taking the name of, of, of a book, the book of life, and saying that life there means the life that we live. Okay? The actions of our life. That's not what the book of life represents in that passage. But he has twisted and he has printed and published this. Hundreds of thousands of copies. Now let me say this. Here's another direct quote. And I don't want to panic you when I say it. (laughs) Look at the panic that comes from this. Saving faith is an adult issue. Saving faith is an adult experience. Salvation is an adult experience. Am I saying that a child cannot be saved? I'm saying that salvation is a conscious turning from sin to follow Jesus Christ with an understanding of something of the sinfulness of sin, its consequences, and something of who Jesus Christ is and he has provided, and that I'm committing my life to him. Do you see how many bullet points are put under salvation? For by grace are you saved through faith. But you got to know something of sin, You have to know of its kind of consequences. You have to be willing to commit, and that has to be lived out through your life. Is that what that verse says? That's not what it says. Continuing his his comment. At what point can a child understand that? I tell parents that salvation is an adult decision. There's no illustration in Scripture of childhood salvation. (laughs) There is none. People want to throw the Philippian jailer in his household. Well, that's talking about his servants, so there's no reference there about his children. What is going on? So there is no such thing as a childhood conversion. Now let me make sure I'm clear here. I'm not attacking John MacArthur. But let me be really clear. He does not know the gospel. I have heard throughout my service. Oh, well, John MacArthur believes like we do. No, he does not. His program, Grace to You, is deceptive. It's designed to sound good and look good. But when you get into his writings, and I've been saying this for months... When you read what he's written, you see what he believes. There, he's not even close, guys. Listen to this. The Greek word translated belief is not referring merely to intellectual attainment or mental acquiescence, but a wholehearted acceptance of everything that is implied in the claims of Christ. You need to believe that Jesus is God and that he died for your sins. A period there would be great. Now oh, We have a comma committing your whole life to him and sacrifice and serving him as lord so that's called backloading the gospel you have the clear call in the beginning you believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved then you put in the back the terms and conditions and you commit your life to him and live a life of service let me ask you a question who judges the last part of those terms and conditions it has to be you and me it has to be you and me I have to be able to look at your life and see evidence of your faith. And that enables me to become a taskmaster over you. That's not biblical. Also, we can't serve out of perfect love in that kind of condition. You actually serve out of a perfect and holy fear that you have not done enough and you are constantly in stress and you Google on YouTube... How can I know that I'm saved? And the answer you get is you don't know until you die. Do you see where Matthew 7 becomes perilous? When you see that many people say, Lord, Lord, have we not? Because they've lived a life in which they think their works saved them and they're standing before Jesus at the judgment and they're being told, I don't know you. It becomes serious. These become more than just quotes on a piece of paper. They become a matter of life and death. And they ought to be accurate, and they ought to be biblically accurate. Number six. Submission, this is another quote, submission to the will of God is Christ's lordship. And to the guiding of the Spirit is an essential, not an optional part of that saving faith. I don't use the phrase genuine faith, saving faith, faith that saves. No, I say, what have you done about Jesus Christ? The offer has been made. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. Forgiveness is ready and available. Now the choice is yours. Saving faith, why is that difference made? Because it puts people like John MacArthur in a position of authority over your life. The point is not, last quote, I promise. The point is not that God guarantees security, to everyone who says uh, who will say he accepts Christ but rather that those whose faith is genuine will prove their salvation is secure by persevering to the end in the way of righteousness he says right here this is the point is not that god guarantees security what do we do then church with 1 john 5:13 these things have i written unto you that believe on the name of the son of god that ye may what no 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 No, that's not what that says. It is what it says. But the point is not that God guarantees security. That you may know that you have what? That's right. Eternal life. And the rest of 1 John is is a beautiful book. But many people make it the litmus test for salvation. The reason why I read these things to you is because what we're going to go over today is, in my view, the strongest definition of what happens to the believer at the moment of belief. Even a child in an Awana program who can understand that they have a need of a Savior and that Jesus has paid their sin can get saved. Many of you in here have worked in Awana or seen Awana work in a way that kids get saved. Why do we make salvation harder than what it has to be? Why do we make things a balancing act to keep people disciplined? You want the best kind of servant? Forgive them of all and declare them righteous. What other option do you have but to serve? Out of a grateful heart. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing because it's all done. <laughs> it's all finished. And I have this opportunity to preach and teach that message that saves. And you have that same opportunity. I would be living in fear and trembling if there had to be a certain amount of proof in my life to show that I was saved. And it's interesting the people that give these instructions, they do none of those things themselves. How many times have you heard of preachers preaching lordship salvation, make him the lord and master of your life, and you find out they're having an affair they're swindling money? This is what happens when salvation depends on you and me. <laughs> it's been finished. Amen? Now, I know this, this font is small. It's designed for a small classroom. I've magnified, to the, I've magnified it to the best of my ability. But take a look here at our slide this morning. Justification. Romans 3.24 says being justified and it describes how the justification happened. What's it say, church? Freely. Freely. By his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26. I declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Note here, that the one who justifies is Jesus. It's not you or me. It's Jesus. Romans 4, 24 through 25. But for us also, to whom it, the righteousness of Christ, shall be imputed. We're going to look at that word today, imputed. If we what? Believe. Now, that that flies in the face of a world-selling author, a bestseller, So now you you and I have a decision to make. Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. Are we going to listen to that, or are we going to listen to a best-selling author? Well, I like his TV show. I like the way he teaches. You think the devil wants that? The devil wants it to look so good and feel so good lordship salvation appeals to the nature of man lordship salvation is the is 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 demonstrated in cain's offering which god rejected god bless you sir romans 5 1 therefore being justified by what faith we have what peace with god through who our lord jesus christ I'll tell you, when I prepare these messages, I think, what else can I say except for that? This is wonderful for the person that's trapped in a works-based salvation process, which will never be attained. We are justified by faith in Him. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, period. Much more than being now justified by His what? Blood. We shall be saved from wrath, through him there's no more wrath of god that is abiding over you believer and there will never be a time where it comes back i've been talking about this for a little bit about parenting because my wife and i we had to talk about how we're going to parent this this little kid of ours is on on the way somewhere praise god we're thankful for that but we had to we're going through some parenting classes and, and, and one of the things that I thought was magnificently profound was when you discipline a child, you never discipline them in a way that God would not discipline. Boy, that takes the word spanking to a whole different level. It's not if... I, I will pull this car over. Do you understand me? If you say one more time and then you lunge back in anger and discipline. God does not do that to you and me. There is no more wrath of God placed on us. This leaks down into the family model. What does God hate the most? It is rebellion. And so parents need to be willing and ready and able to discipline on that rebellion. But God does not look at you and me and seek to discipline us as our parents seek to discipline us. There's no vacuum cleaner in heaven in which the cord can be used to get you a, <laughs> as well. You know what I'm saying? There's no wooden spoon in heaven either that, is ready to, that he's ready to strike you out of a holy anger. You, listen to how beautiful this is. The wrath of God was satisfied on his son. Did you hear what I said? It was satisfied. It's not going to quell up again. That, Warren, one more time, I'm going to beat the mess out of him. That's not how God works. Instead, God disciplines Warren out of a perfect love. That's even scarier. That's even scarier. We shall be saved from wrath through him because of this. We're justified. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our god and if you look at the two verses before that it goes through all the different fruits of the flesh from lying to murder i have had we just recorded a video about this in galatians 5 people the person who asked the question said galatians 5 verses 20 through 21 seems to support that you can lose your salvation if you do these things this is how wonderful justification is you your flesh not going to get into heaven. A new birth will be there. And you've got that new birth right now. So it changes. Well, why do I want to continue to live in sin when all of this has been done for me? Husbands, you'll understand what I'm about to say here. When you want something, right, may cost a little bit, and you've been looking for it, you've been saving, blah, blah, blah. It's almost like you're going to do whatever you can to get that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, we might be able to do this and move this around, and move this around. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But one of the things that Kyla does is she says, okay, you know what that does? It makes me go, do I really want that? I mean, I've been looking forward to it and I've been saving up for it, but now that I have the total freedom to, to go do it, do I want it? <laughs> Let's talk about reverse psychology. She knows. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> understanding your justification, you look at sin and go, I really want to do that? Considering what has been done for me? It's a wonderful motivation. It's a wonderful motivation. Galatians 2, 16 through 17, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be, justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall, what does this say? Shall no flesh be justified. So now again, we have the holy word of God and the words of John MacArthur. And you and I need to make a decision. I think, I think some of you are starting to, to, to understand what I'm saying here. We ought not support anything that does not line up with what the word says. This is why our pulpit is not open to anybody. Pastor Scudder and his ministry, who's coming down here and they're gonna be doing a gather in grace event to support their ministry. I want a ministry like that for one reason. They teach the biblical gospel. I would be appalled if someone came into this pulpit and teached a works-based message. And if it ever happened, You better believe wherever I'm sitting, I'm popping up and coming, and we're saying thank you, you have a nice day. And maybe we'll have an early dismissal. But I'm not even going to allow an opportunity for it to be preached because it is a confusing and binding message, and it's not what the Bible teaches. Galatians 2, 16 through 17, we're going to break that down further on uh, in the the, uh, message today, but it's a wonderful, this is what it is, this is what it is not. Titus 3.7, that being justified, how? By his grace, we should be made, ooh, heirs according to the hope of what? Eternal life. So now you have a position in which you are inheriting eternal life. And that's already done, and it's final. All right, justification. To reckon, to declare, or to show righteous. Not to make righteous righteous. God declares the believer to be righteous. Justification is a legal term. It is a good standing. The Bible teaches that this is done when we believe. So you have, a Christ, you have a lost man who is having the wrath of God, abiding upon him. The Bible teaches that the moment that they believe, they become declared righteous, a legal term, to which that cannot be changed. This is why when Jesus says, and they shall never be brought into condemnation again, it is because all the things that were held against them have been met and satisfied, and they have been declared righteous. It cannot change. So you can't backload or frontload the gospel because it's a one-time positional experience. It only happens once, and it stays that way. To say anything else is to be a contradiction to Scripture. We have two categories here. You have in the human law courts and in God's court. In a human court of law, the law is over the judge. An honest and just judge can show no mercy. Is that true? It is true. This is how our legal system is supposed to work. You have a charge brought against you. You are innocent until proven guilty. You have the opportunity to have counsel represent you and navigate through the legal system. But when that verdict comes down, it's down. The judge is held by the law. He must adjudicate guilty or not according to the law. In God's court, God is over all. By his grace, his substitute has borne the guilt, and guilty sinners may be uh, uh, adjudicated as righteous. A guilty man may be pardoned in the human law court, the crime be forgiven, but no penalty paid. In God's court, all sin has a penalty which must be paid. I've given this illustration before. God does not simply let sin go with no payment. Jesus paid the price. This is the whole point of communion. Communion is not a saving process, or to keep you safe, it's to remember this event. What did he do for us on the cross? He died and he paid for our sins. Praise God. Isn't this more exciting than he started the process in which you and I must finish? Give me the word of God (laughs) and not man's opinion. Punishment is required by God's absolute justice. Now we're going to look at three elements of justification here. If you have something to take notes with, I would encourage you to do so. The first element of justification is forgiveness. Let's look at that in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verses 37 through 39. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from how many things? All things. So here we are in the court of law. Our account has come up. The sin has come up. And there is a payment, and that payment is rendered as death. And so God said, This must be satisfied. And His Son stepped in our place and took the payment for us. All of it. Why would it make sense to say there's a part of your bill that will be paid and then there's a later part that you need to pay? I've heard people say, Jesus starts, I finish. That's not what the Bible says. It says very clearly, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law. Now just hold your place here for a second and go to Galatians 2. We just looked at Galatians 2. And I want you to see the the clear connection. Some people have this weird idea that the gospel of Jesus is not the gospel of, of, of Paul. And I don't I don't understand that. Look at what is said here in Galatians 2. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. If you hold your place, you can look right back over there in Acts, and it says, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Uh, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we're in Galatians 2.16, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Period. People say, well, a a, a lost man has to ask God for forgiveness to be saved. The forgiveness is already available and done. What the lost man must do, which Romans 4 does not classify believing as a work, what they must do is say, I believe that was done for me. That's it. There's no proof that has to come after. It's been satisfied fully in Christ. Hallelujah. A Christian is not a pardoned criminal. He is a righteous man. This is an important point as well. When God looks upon you and me, he sees a clean bill. He doesn't see that really bad area before we were saved. And then, oh, look at all this righteousness. He doesn't see you as someone who's pardoned. He sees you as a righteous person. Isn't that wonderful? Gone, gone, gone. My sins are gone. <laughs> Amen. Do you see how this enables grateful service? It is a shame that there are not more people teaching this message this morning. Trent uh, sent me a survey from Answers in Genesis. I don't know the exact numbers, but there's a large percentage of young Christians who are tired of the 10 minute messages. Now, I probably would have never guessed that. You know what I'm saying? You know what young evangelical Christians are looking for? Substance. More of the Word of God, less of the music. Really? Because you know there's a whole church out there that is a it, they're a worship band first, and they have a worship band pastor, and the whole thing is about the musical experience. Evangelical young people are saying. No, I want the Word of God taught. But churches have succumbed. They have, they have the, the hook in their jaw. Oh, you got to be culturally relevant or people are not going to show up. Yeah, I'm not going to go for that. You're not going to see me in a white V-neck shirt and skinny jeans. It's not happening. Don't have the body or desire for it. Okay, You don't want to see it? I don't want to wear it. I don't have to reach the culture. I, I, I don't have to... Be in a position where I, I, I sacrifice the word of God in order to reach people. We're not going to talk about sin because sin is offensive. Well, imagine if Jesus took that approach. Well, I don't want to talk about being judgmental and hypocritical to the Pharisees. That would hurt their feelings. What? It is that attitude that is keeping them out of heaven. Hello? Hello? But people have cut pages out of their Bibles and we cut passages out and we, we sat we're satisfied with these corrupt translations that mutilate the Word of God. I think it's, I think it's terrible that there's translations like the Message Bible out there that, put, that, that in order to reach the young people, we got to have Jesus say, bro, and dude. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Sins are paid for by another... And that another is the perfect substitute, the Lord Jesus. Look in 1 John. Look in 1 John in chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation there means the satisfactory, substitutional. He is in that place of you and me. And it was accepted. And it was accepted. I can't tell you how many times pastors crack open 1 John and they create a boogeyman. Here's how they do it. They don't understand 1 John, so they think it's a litmus test for salvation. And so they create this imaginary man who's so, so sinful and wicked. So sinful and wicked that he was actually never really saved. Even though he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and now shalt be saved, he was unsaved. Because he was so wicked and never confessed his sin and never had any problem with it, and they paint this picture of a man, and they give their congregation assurance by saying, "But that would never be you. That would never be me. It's this this other man. We know. We all know him. But it's not us. That's not how First John is to be interpreted. First John is a book that that uh, describes the quality of your walk with the Lord." But the, point, the reason why I went to 1 John 2 is to show here that he is the perfect substitute. And by perfect, it means complete, meaning there's nothing else that you and I must do. Praise the Lord. God has no other way of pardoning but by Jesus Christ. And number two is imputation. Psalms 32 and verse 2, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Romans 4.8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Romans 5.13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Imputation is to put to one's account. You go to the bank. You have a check. You write out a deposit slip with the accounting number, the amount that you want to go in, and if you want any cash out, you can put it there and you have a net or you have a gross. And you go to the teller and you say, I take this amount of money, and I am putting it to this specific account. The illustration here is not just because you and I understand it. The very words of Christ on the cross, it is finished, is an accounting term which means paid in full. So the payment was put to our account. And when you believe the full righteousness, the full justification is imputed to your account. Where is Lordship salvation in light of the, term of, in light of the terms of Scripture? It's a false doctrine. And it's got to be noted as that. Friend, you sit here today fully justified. Makes every song sweeter. Makes the fellowship with like minded brothers and sisters in Christ sweeter. It makes prayer requests sweeter. It takes the filth of the world and, and shows it for what it is it's filth. We're children of the King. Isn't that great? Mm. Last year when Kyla was in her situation and she almost died because of going septic, you're sitting there waiting for the calls from the doctors and stuff, and you know there's a chance that you get a call that something happened and she passed away. I praise the Lord in knowing where she will be. Some of you have lost people this year or in, in the past several years with all the things going on in the world. You've lost people. But what makes a funeral a celebration of life is knowing where they are. And I'm so glad that we don't have to sit down before a funeral and say, do the actions of this person prove that they're saved? The Catholic Church will tell you, confess your sins, or you won't know you're going to heaven. But every Catholic funeral we've been a part of, they're all in heaven. It's the same thing with the Calvinist. The Calvinist says there are some that are uh, chosen to eternal life and there are others who are chosen to eternal damnation. I've yet to meet a Calvinist that says he's chosen to eternal damnation. They're all chosen to eternal life. What you and I believe has been classified by the world as hyper-grace. And they call it... They say that all you have to do is believe and you're fully justified from all things but there, and there's no mention of repentance or confession of sin you know why there's no mention of repentance or confession for sin because the bible doesn't make it a requirement i'm looking at hyper grace and i'm going wow by the terms of the world minus a few things here and there that's biblical (laughs) gotquestions.org is lobbying an attack on the word of god i got questions for gotquestions.org who's who's doing the bible study there Why are we missing these basic things? Imputation is to put to one's account. All the sins of mankind were put to Christ's account. He paid them in full. The righteousness of Christ is put to the account of every believer, the person who believes on him. And the last part is regeneration, which we discussed at length last week. But as a refresher, it is a new birth into the family of God. Look at these wonderful verses Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This even applies to the wicked believers in Corinth. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. Right now, you are in that position and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is praise god there's not going to be one one little part of my sinful nature in heaven oh well that's the amount he didn't fully pay (laughs) no i'm not going to make mistakes in heaven someone asked me the other day i think it might have been you michael i don't i don't remember we were talking and, and somebody said, what are you going to feel when you're in heaven? When you, you know, what, what do you think you're going to do when you see Jesus? Like, what's going to be the result? And they told me some, some questions or some answers from other people. I don't know because I do not know what it is like to not have a sinful nature. But I know when I do see him, it's going to be great joy. And I can't wait for it. Some people will say, <laughs> I, had a, I had a question come in a couple of years ago where somebody says, You know, well, I know my wife or my, my husband in heaven, and, you know, will, they, will I still love them and things like that? And I said, I, I, I think we'll know people. I think we will. But let me tell you, we're going to want to be with him. And sometimes people are like, Oh, well, I love my husband and my wife so much, like, I don't want to lose that love. Well, you love Jesus more. The commitment that we have in a, in a marriage is to model what Christ did for us. So we ought to put him as numero uno. I just can't wait to be there. I have one little request. I, I want to see how the world was formed. That's it. I want to see how he spoke everything into existence. And I'd like to be able to like fly around galaxies and stuff. I know that's two requests now. I know, I know. Doc Myers says he hopes there's like a, a, a video room where you can, he, he can watch all the stories of the Bible. Let me tell you what, though. How awesome it would be to fly around the galaxies and, and see the creation of the world, but I know whatever is waiting for me is greater than that. Whatever is waiting for me is greater than that. I, and I, I'm excited, it motivates my service. Because I'm going to go see him. And there's an opportunity for him to give to me. (laughs) I mean, we even think of that the chance that he will reward us for living disciplined here. I'm up for that, even though I'm going to cast them right back at his feet. Be great, wouldn't it? Be great. Mm. Exciting. We read all those verses. Okay. Justifications. We're going to go over two different categories of justification. Uh, conditions. Okay, the first one is negative and not in like a bad way, but this is what it is not. Okay, it is not by works. Romans four. Now I want you to go to Romans four because we're gonna we're gonna look in there for a little bit. I was listening to a pastor this this week, and I, I he was talking about you know creating me a clean heart. And he made a statement like this, he said, if you're not unhappy about your sin, if you're unconvicted about your sin and you're unconfessional about your sin, that man is not saved. Now, I'm telling you, when it comes to a disciplined living example, being, being content to just sin it up is not a good condition to be in. But to make that a product of salvation is a heresy and it's unbiblical. And we have to take a hard stance on it because the Bible clearly discusses it. Justification before men is different than justification before God. Remember we said that because we're going to look at it later. But justification is not by works. Look at Romans 4. Verses 4-5. through Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. I have seen and read full-blown arguments that belief must be a work. And that kind of description is calling the Bible and the author of the Scripture a liar because it says here, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That faith is counted for what? Righteous. Declared righteous in God's court of law. You see how this all fits together like that nice puzzle piece as it ought to be? Romans eleven six, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. The light is on, the light is off. The light is on, the light is off. It's either all grace, or it's either all works. There's not a mixture of the two. Why then does MacArthur say that saving, genuine, wholesome, authentic, faith is followed by actions? Why then is it categorized belief is the evidence proven by action? That doesn't, that's not what the Bible says. It is not by the deeds of the law. This is where we should take a hard stance on legalism. Let me chat about legalism for just a moment. We only have about 10 or 12 minutes left. Legalism is very destructive. Legalism is the idea... That a person is made holy or sanctified by their actions. And it is just, you just have to do the actions. This is how you get mega churches back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They have horrible scandals going on. And they're able to manipulate children into doing things that are ungodly because the idol has become that man. Dr. Lindstrom never asked for an idol to be built unto himself. Nor did Dr. Arnold, and nor will I. I don't worship any Bible teacher. This word is what I put as primary. But when you tell people how to act and tell people how to live in order to attain righteousness, you become the one that decides. You become the one that decides. Heart Cry Ministries, which is Paul Washer's ministry, is a quintessential example of legalism. He said the moment that he felt most saved was when he was on a missions trip in Africa. And he was just giving out Bibles. He felt, that's when I felt, Lord, I can die right now because I know I'm going. Hmm. What? Let me tell you. Not by the deeds of the law. Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified, be declared righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Galatians 2.16 We've read that at length. Galatians 3.11 But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now, many, many people will creep into this verse and say, see, you're going to live it. This is how we can have eternal life. By what? Faith. And we are declared righteous in that moment. Positive. And there's four things here. It is by God. Romans three twenty six To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Who shall lay anything to the charge of god's elect it is god that justifieth not you not our works by grace being justified freely by his grace that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life it is by his blood romans 3 24 through 25 look at verse 25 whom god hath set forth to be a propitiation a substitutional sacrifice, through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And when we partner this with what it says in 1 John 3, 2, that we're going to be like Him, it's covered all sin. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. By faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and finally, by the resurrection. And I want you to see this in Romans 4, verses 24 through 25. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. It's not enough to say he didn't rise from the dead. You see how heinous the disciples, or uh, not the disciples, the Pharisees in their time, how heinous their thoughts were to cover up the resurrection? Because if he doesn't come back from the dead, he's just another man. But he did come back from the dead. Hallelujah. And it was for a purpose to declare you and me righteous upon the moment of belief. Amen. There are three illustrations here of justification. We're already in Romans 4, so I want you to look at verses 1 through 5. We have Abraham as an example. What shall we say then that Abraham our father hath uh, as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Which is what we're about to see in the next slide here where we talk about justification before men. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, what church? Believed who church? And it was counted unto him for what? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Look at the next set of verses down to verse 8. Even as David also describeth the blessedness, the happiness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, without works saying blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the man to whom the lord will not put to their account sin instead look at what verse 6 says god puts righteousness to their account without their works And for time, we won't look at the one verse in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, but it discusses Noah there. Justification before men. Men cannot see faith, only works. Now here's the passage. (gasps) James chapter 2, no! 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 It destroys everything. No, it doesn't. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made complete or perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was put to his account unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. The context of James chapter two is to believers that are saying one thing and doing another. Or they're just happy to be in church, but they're not reaching the lost person. They're disobedient. The devils believe and tremble. Ooh, see, 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 you've got to do works too. No, they know the consequences, and you and I should understand the consequences of not exercising our faith. We miss out on rewards, we miss out on the opportunity to experience the joy of our salvation, and we may miss out on time to serve for him. But we justify our faith before men by the things that we do. Those of you who have brought people to church and they've gotten saved, maybe someone brought you to church and you got saved. What a wonderful thing, amen? To make this about salvation is to miss the point. Justification in the believer's experience. It is peace with God, it is access, it is the rejoice and the hope of glory, patience, experience, hope, and love. You're already in four, look in five of Romans therefore being justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ by whom also we have access this is how we can boldly approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need well how is that possible if we first have to get saved again or have a track record and not only also but we glory in tribulations also Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You cannot serve in a perfect state if you are trying to still be saved. It's already done. He's not asking us to serve out of fear and trembling. Perfect love casteth out fear. What's the perfect love? A solid forgiveness, a declaration of righteousness in which we will always be in that condition. Amen? Why would we want to live in the muck and the mire of sin? Why? When we are declared righteous. You want a motivation for service? That's a motivation for service. Okay, we like this slide, right? We're done. This hand representing you and me and my wallet representing sin. I'm going to put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The payment for sin is death. Separation from God forever in a place called hell. It's not somewhere you want to be. It's not somewhere you want your worst enemy to be. And when people teach the gospel falsely, they are putting people on a track to this place. In order to get to heaven, the condition is perfection. I take the wallet off of my hand to show it's it's full perfection. Not this was once in a position and now it's not. They've only pay, you know, they're only living for the future ones. They got to pay for all of them. We've all fallen short. God loves the man. He hates the sin because it separates us from him. Many world religions are teaching a works based model give turn ask prove these are common phrases used in a gospel invitation those of you who are saved stay saved and those of you who want to stay saved keep working you hear the phrase know that i know that i know and it causes doubt in people's mind because the only thing they have to look at is themselves you cannot work your way to heaven you cannot work your way to heaven This hand represents Jesus Christ, and this is as an illustration. But you notice there's no sin there. He meets the requirement. He lived a perfect, righteous, holy life, not as merely an example for you and me, so that he went to that cross and he took our sin upon himself. He paid for it. He died. He rose again three days later, just like he said. So now here's the lost person. Their sin is paid. So how do they get saved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. What's it say? Shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And you see where that word justification comes in? The moment of belief declared righteous. God looks at you and me. And regardless of how we live our life, it will not change our positional standing. Now, this is where people like to take the mud and throw it and say, you're preaching a license to sin. No, we're not. Most people that levy that claim against you, they're using that license. I'm serious. I've never thought in my life that The first thought of when I understood salvation is not, yes, I can do what I want now. (laughs) No. And I I bet you it was not that way for you either. In fact, many of you got saved later in life, and the first thing that you experienced was relief of the clarity. I've not met someone who's like, ooh, yeah, now I can go do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Never met somebody like that. The Bible uh, uh, is, is against that view of a license to sin. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What is to be properly understood is, it's done. Now you have the opportunity and the capacity to live out for him. Amen? Because you are justified, declared righteous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed eyes are closed. If you're here today and you have yet to take God at his word that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again, if you've yet to do that, if there's a part of you that is still working to be saved, you're hanging on to something that you can do, would you just simply believe Take God at his word that Jesus has paid for your sin and has risen again. My friend, the moment you do that, you're saved. This is not just for adults. This is for anyone who can hear and understand. Even a child can understand this. So if you're here today and you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, would you let me know by a raised hand Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you have believed on the, the Lord Jesus Christ today. Anyone at all before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I hope you'll, you'll be here next week as we talk about sanctification. There are three tenses to it, and there's a lot that you can learn from it. It gives a lot of clarity to passages which seem to say something different. But would you pray for people who are looking for answers online and in the world? Would you pray two things, that someone would reach them and that God would use you to do it?
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. As a thank you to our listeners, we want to give away a free Bible every month this year. To enter, send us an email with your Bible question. Our email address is questions at BibleLineMinistries.org Be sure to subscribe to the show and check back each Thursday for new episodes. Until next time, keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon.